Somewhere in the city tonight, the Roman is smiling. And that's because he is listening to his favorite episode of the Midwestern Nerds. That is right. Welcome back, folks, to another week of the Midwestern Nerds podcast. I am Chad Coffin. I'm Brian Stoffel. And I'm Kyle Olson. Welcome back to another exciting week. It is a bat week this week. But before we dive headfirst into that, we are, as we said, the Midwestern Nerds. That's M I D W E S T E R N E R. S at the Western Nerds on Twitter and Instagram, MidwesternNerds at gmail.com, the Midwestern Nerds podcast on Facebook, wherever you can stream us, that's where you can stream us. Any podcast that can be found anywhere, we are there as well. Please remember, rate and review us, whether you're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, take a minute, review us. It takes less than the episode takes to listen to, and we appreciate it just as much. Like I had led into before, this is a bat week. We have teased this for a while. We have talked about it. This will be our first installment of The Midwesterners Reads. And it's going to be Batman The Long Halloween by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. This is leading up to the Batman movie with Robert Pattinson is right around the corner. Is that this weekend already, Brian? So it'll be out this Friday or is it next week? Uh, Next week. Next week. So our second episode of uh, the long halloween readings will be coming up when the uh, actual movie comes out this book uh, is one that they said closely relates to the movie itself Um, in addition to that this is also just a really really great read so i hope some of you did go out and pick up this book because it is an awesome read very uh, unique and interesting artwork by tim sale and jeff Loeb is a great writer i talked about a couple weeks ago he did a great run on captain america that i enjoyed which was captain america white And now we are here this week to break down issues one through seven, right, Brian? Correct. One through seven. Before we jump in, why don't you guys give me your first impressions on these first seven issues? I know that I've stood on top of the tallest mountain that I could to praise this book, but this is your first time reading it, both Chad and Kyle. So give me some general thoughts on what on how you feel about what you've read so far. It's, you know, it's good because it got me to continue reading. (laughs) It got me to read in general. I, as I've probably said before, I'm not a big reader. I'd rather multitask and play video games and watch something off to the side at the same time or cook and watch something at the same time. So I don't read very often. This is one of few comic books I've actually read now. And it, I sat down and it took me a long time to actually finally sit down and read it. But once I actually sat down, it, I actually genuinely fo- found it hard to put down. I only put it down because it was getting super late at night and I worked in the morning. So it's just so good. It's so different. Like, I again, this is one of the few comic books I've read. It's such a different medium. I, I did not expect it to be as, I don't know, it, it's very quick moving. The art style is awesome. You can almost, you can read a whole thing in like 30, less than 30 seconds. You can read a whole two pages, but then you can just sit there and admire the art and look at the story again kind of repiecing it as you're as you're reading it too for another 30 seconds like it it's it's a quick read but it, there's so much that goes into it i'm actually on the hook because i don't know what's going on i there, there's so many 
different possibilities of what is actually going and and it is almost like, like it's the detective stuff you actually get to like you you kind of do get to go along with them and put some pieces together there's some interesting story arcs going along like family stuff i i i would like i said it it takes a lot for me to get into a book or, or to anything like that so that that obviously says something i briefly mentioned it earlier this episode and, and back in another episode i do really enjoy jeff loeb and tim sale as a team now jeff loeb writes a very 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 strong story it was awesome in captain america which is why i remember the book so fondly and it is excellent in the long Halloween. Like Kyle said, there's a lot of different stories going on at the same time, a lot of different character arcs. The detective work you see being pieced out in every single issue. I will never say Tim Sale's artwork is bad, but it is very, very, very unique. It is very different from any other comic book artist I've ever read. He relies a lot on really over-the-top dramatizations of things, and then also at the same time cutting things way, 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 way back to a very scaled down. I mean, if you look at the Joker with his first appearance, you see all 72 of his teeth in his head. Very over-the-top on this Joker. Not my Joker, not a big fan of it. But then also all Harvey, not Harvey Dent, all Jim Gordon is in this whole book is a hat, glasses, and a mustache. That's all he is the whole time. It's very simple. It's very pulled back. It's very simplistic. Well, in, in um, any scene with Batman and Catwoman too, it's basically just their silhouettes almost. Like, like I, I think that's, I think that's a really cool style to go to. It, it really emphasizing Batman is just in the dark. He's in the shadows. I think that's, I think that's a really cool detail that he uses. Yeah, and again, I'll never go good or bad with Tim Sale. He's not my favorite uh, artist, but it is very unique, and there is a lot of genuine qualities to his artwork that you can take away and really enjoy it's been a hot minute since i've read this story i've read it enough times where i remember the main beats but actually going back into it and reading it and picking up the full details i'm appreciating it a lot more than i ever did i love the fact that this is kind of like if martin scorsese did one of his crime dramas but did it with batman like this is the godfather with Batman and his rogues gallery and his supporting cast, basically. Down to the opening scene in the first issue, which we'll get into, but Carmine the Roman Falcone looks like the Godfather. Like, full-on looks like Don Vito Corleone from The Godfather. The art, which Chad and Kyle have talked about here, the thing that I appreciate most this time around is the use of the shadows and the inkings. They've both kind of gotten into it a little bit, but I really love that Batman is basically just like, like Kyle said, a silhouette with a giant cape, definitely dipping into uh, Todd McFarlane there with those capes, but we'll dive more into detail once we get going along. So let's jump in right away with chapter one titled Crime, Catwoman, the Joker, Poison Ivy, and the Riddler. Any one of these Batman rogues may prove to be the mysterious serial killer known as Holiday, a murderer who kills according to the calendar. And now a still learning Batman must uncover the killer's identity before they kill again. This first chapter is the longest of the seven that we're going to talk about because it has to build up a lot. You have to build up who the uh, Falcone crime family is. You have to build up and develop where in the story Bruce Wayne is, how early in their careers that Harvey Dent and James Gordon are, 
And then you have to introduce this killer and really get things going. This is the only chapter that extends throughout months at a time. As we go through, each one of these chapters takes place along a certain holiday. This chapter here starts in June and ends on Halloween. So we really get into how this crime family is getting a strong grip on Gotham, how Batman and the GCPD are trying their best to take down this family alone before they decide to team up and take down the crime family. It's it's a strong start. Jeff Loeb does a great job setting up, setting the stage, establishing the characters, and really starting to develop this mystery. There's a lot of different hints, clues, red herrings that are thrown in right away that really get the ball going. I really, really enjoy this. Let's get into it. What are some of your guys' favorite pictures or panels throughout this first chapter? For me to start off, I love the first time that we see that we actually get to see Carmine Falcone. Like I said earlier, he looks spitting image to how the Godfather looks and it really sets up visually the power and influence that this guy has. It starts at a wedding of the Carmine Falcone family which again is very similar to how the Godfather starts. And we really just jump in from there. Uh, For me, my favorite panel was when Catwoman gets introduced, breaking into the safe. I think it's really cool how they allude to the fact that it's Batman right away, but then they have her claws reach in and that's who's, and you see his silhouette behind interrupting her. I think that's just a, even as I was reading it, it almost, it got me right at first. I was like, why is Batman going to the, and then, yeah, I I really like the use of that one. Again, with the shadows. I like in the panel on the page before where Falcone like sees Batman's silhouette and sees Catwoman and like puts his finger on his scars on his face. These claw mark scars that you can tell are from Catwoman and you're wondering what the story is behind that really sets the stage for future developments later on in the story. I, the same as Brian, the the Falcone the initial shot of him that you can see when he's sn- you're smelling the rose. He's got the big gold ring on his hand. And his line is, enjoy the rest of the party, Bruce. Try the cannoli. I had him flown in fresh from Italy. Fresh. Uh, I mean, like, how much more can you add to it? I also like a Catwoman panel in the beginning. It's actually a full page, uh, a full two-page panel. It's where, in my mind, you actually get to see Tim Sale's artwork directly like what like exactly what his level of talent is i think that a lot of the drawing in here is a little the art is a little crude but i think that's by choice i think that's the way he wants to do it because then you go from that page where the family saying they're getting their picture taken it's very simple and then bam the next page you get batman and the Catwoman in all their glory and all their detail that one is i really like that one and then last but certainly not least i just love the gravity of again a two-page full panel where dent and batman are standing in that warehouse with all the money and it's just stacks on it looks at first when you turn the page it looks like a skyline because it just looks like skyscrapers but it's actually just money piled so high in the warehouse i I thought that was a really cool uh shot as well a shot that is familiar if you've seen the dark knight at all there's when the joker's in that warehouse 
full of that money, the, the giant stacks. It looks like a small pile compared to how it is in the book, but you can tell already early on in the story the influences that this book has had on other Batman stories in other various mediums as well. Uh, I I love how Batman and that two shot of Batman and Catwoman when he uh, catches her trying to steal from the safe as well. I love on the next page the the panel where uh, they're both kind of squaring off against each other. The size of Batman's cape it's it's very <laughs> it's very Spawn esque if you read any Spawn from Todd McFarlane and it continues along throughout this book as well. I like towards the beginning when we first get introduced to Harvey Dent and he's writing up all the tickets outside of the wedding and he gets mugged. And I love how the panels go from being like vertically up and down and they kind of fall along with the character as well. And then he gets knocked out. And once he starts to regain consciousness, the panels start to like fall back in place too. I really love how they've got that all set up like that. Another panel that I really love is when Harvey Dent and James Gordon and Batman all decide to team up for the first time and Harvey and James Gordon are up on top of the roof the bat signals on he's asking how long it's going to take for Batman to come and that first shot of Batman standing in front of the bat signal and he's just says gentlemen love that page love that panel it's so it just screams Batman and it's it's a very iconic image for me. Well, and it's just, it's, it's a really good job at the, at the illustration too, uh, portraying that cinematic, the two people are talking and then boom, there's someone behind you. You can almost picture that from panel to panel there, the way that he did it. It's also not very fair to claim this because I think this is like when people say, Jim's my favorite character from the office, but in every, we're talking about a serial killer, so we're not going to bury the lead here. In every one of the issues, there's a murder. And in every panel, when you see the murder, it's black and white. But the only thing that's left in color is the calling card from Bat Holiday. So in this one, because there's not a holiday, it's just called crime. You just see the son of Roman in the bathtub, but the bathtub is all red. And that's the only color on those two panels. It's all black and white. You see the gun pop through the door. And then the next thing you know is you see the handful of things that are on. I think if this issue would have been called Halloween, the little pumpkin would have been orange. But because it was called crime, they went with the blood in the in the tub instead. But we'll see that theme carry throughout throughout the issues. I really like, too, a couple pages before that, when the serial killer is preparing the gun. Uh, taping the handle up and filing the serial number off of the gun and getting the baby bottle nipple ready for the silencer and then the very next page you see Harvey Dent working in the basement and it's starting to set up who your possible suspects are of this killer throughout this story the very first pan or the very yeah the very first panel after the silencer baby nipple is Jim Gordon's baby nipple for his for the baby bottle too like that yes. it, there's so many different i thought that was so cool when i first i had to look back at it i was like is this supposed to be the same and i was like oh that's what they want you to think like i i absolutely love that plus while we're on this page too i love the way that they introduce kind of introducing their arcs both harvey and gordon with 
their kind of relationship issues uh, that they're both dealing with being in this line of work. They introduce it so quickly, right at the same time. And it's basically almost their both of their arcs that just go out through the whole thing. I think it was a really cool way to introduce both of those. And I really like too how right away, right off the bat, they set Harvey Dent up not to be like the golden boy that everybody thinks and expects him to be. He has demeanor that isn't quite right. He says things every once in a while that Captain Gordon, not yet commissioner in this story, but Captain Gordon is like, we don't say things like that. Like, we don't talk like that. Like, he tells, that's, he tells that's not the way that we do things. He literally says like, hey, if it, if it wasn't me and you standing here right now, if we were just two other dudes, this is a lot of untraceable money that we could uh, potentially you know, take a few stacks of. I like those. I like those little details too. I noticed those. Again, setting setting up a possible suspect for all these crimes that are going on. All right. Any dialogue that stood out to you guys that you know either set up the story or was something that was clever or something that you liked hearing? I mean, the first one that I, the big one that I had was like one that you already mentioned when he pops up at gentleman, just the way that he introduces himself there. And again, I think it's the next page where he he's having that internal debate with him where like this he goes against or it's going against the promise that he made to his parents but he still finds himself siding with these two because he knows it's probably the right thing to do like it I I really like that part too I really like how throughout this book Batman throughout his dialogue even right away the first bit of dialogue in this story kind of sets up the themes like I believe in Gotham City I believe in Jim Gordon. I believe in Harvey Dent. And I like that we're seeing Batman's perspective right away. And we're slowly going to see how things are going to change throughout this story. And I think that that was a really strong way to start this off. Um, I also like when uh, Selena Kyle first shows up and uh, she's talking about how hot it is. I, and she's like, it's hot even for June. Years from now, when people are talking about the weather, they'll say it's hot, but not as hot as the night Johnny Vitti got married. It's classic gangster dialogue, like a classic gangster type story dialogue that really gets me. And I really love after when Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle are dancing at the wedding and Bruce says, Selena Kyle, suddenly leaving has lost all of its urgency. Like, again, it just sets up how where these two are at in their relationship you know they're they're not exclusively together but they're there's still that strong bond and that strong connection between them it's a good thing that jeff Loeb knows how to write a passionate relationship because tim sale does not draw an attractive female in this entire book so i don't know why but we'll get on we'll get to it later on but something just i don't know if it's just the storytelling or the way that it's laid out but like when poison ivy shows her face i'm like all right i get it like i don't know if it's just i don't know if it's just because he draws her with a with a giant chest or that she's being like super seductive but something there's working for me but the opposite can be said about selena kyle like every time they show her i'm like i I don't know if it's the nose like that first picture she looks like michael jackson with like looks like a she looks like a gutter rat (laughs) She looks like somebody who was not invited to the wedding and she showed up to get like free cake and try to steal stuff from people. She, it, 
just it's not good the other set of dialogue that i like is throughout this first chapter the more that falcone's plans are starting to line up the more that you can tell that batman is starting to get on his like last edge by himself and it's always like in the same kind of pattern again with like how it started off with the i believe in gotham city and harvey dent and all that but this time it's somewhere in this city I know the Roman is smiling somewhere in this city. I know the Roman is laughing. And then finally, when the first murder happens, Batman says somewhere in the city, the Roman isn't laughing anymore. And so I, I feel like that really sets the mood up too. any other last thoughts that we guys have on this first chapter before we jump into the next. Very last thing for me was the last panel of this chapter the artwork of the explosion, especially with the inclusion of the pumpkins flying off of the porch. I think that was a nice little detail to end the Halloween quote unquote chapter, even though it's not, that's not what it's called, but they end, they end that with the explosion at the Dent house and just the explosion with the stuff coming out of the pumpkins. I think that was really well done. For a book that's called the long Halloween, they'll, they'll explain the reason behind the title, but it's the only holiday that's not that a chapter isn't named after like every time that it's halloween that chapter isn't titled halloween like this first one's titled crime and then the last chapter of the book is titled punishment and every other chapter in between is titled after the holiday that the events are taking place which again i think as me as you know super nerd who likes those kind of details it's it's the long halloween so you don't need a halloween chapter this is I can, I can almost, without finishing the comic already, I can already tell why it's called that. I can already see the storyline going through and like how that's almost connected. And I love those little details of, it's a simple thing, but th those are just things that you can really appreciate. Chad, do you want to set up chapter two for us? I can. Chapter two, Thanksgiving, following the horrors of Halloween, Thanksgiving proves to be no haven for the guilty as another group of criminals fall. Uh, they fall prey to the mysterious serial killer named Holiday. Hot on the trail of an assassin targeting D.A. Harvey Dent, Batman finds he's blocked by none other than Solomon Grundy. I think the first thing I take away from this is right out of the first issue, we get Catwoman. Right into the next one, we get a Solomon Grundy. I mean, we're already getting that rogues gallery that you talk about, or if you want to call them rogues. But um, it's already exciting to see that we're dipping into a lot of Batman lore with having all these characters show up. I really like on page pages two and three, that panel of Jim Gordon and Batman interrogating Mickey the Mink. Again, I'm going to talk about the shadowing a lot throughout this because that was <laughs> one of the main things that stood out for me this read around. But just it's dark room. The only light that's coming from is the desk lamp and the way that they've got the light hitting both Gordon and uh, Mickey the mink and how it's not hitting Batman. And you can only see his eyes and his bat symbol on his chest. And the rest is just a shadowy outline in front of that, that shaded window. Love it. I really like the first panel of the fight scene with Solomon Grundy where it's just that vicious punch to the face, caves his nose in to his skull, and then it's just that still image of him just eating the pot. He's just, nope, I, that didn't even affect me. I absolutely love that. That was really fun. Um, I really like the 
towards the end of the book, you see that page where they show Batman, Harvey Dent, and Jim Gordon and how they end up spending their Thanksgiving night. Batman's watching the criminals that they just interrogated throughout this whole issue go free. Harvey Dent is in the hospital with his wife, who was injured in the explosion of their home in the previous chapter. And then Jim Gordon is walking home to a cold Thanksgiving dinner with the lights off in the house. Everybody's already gone to bed. Yeah, I just, I love that whole page and how it just kind of sets up where these two are at in life, completely different than anybody else. On that next page that Batman goes back because he's not really a bad guy and Solomon Grundy really didn't do anything. He just got in the way. So he goes back and he brings them Thanksgiving dinner and all you see is the hand come up, Solomon Grundy born on the Monday and he just grabs that turkey leg and then you're you're back out of the sewers again. I think it's cool. It's just, I mean, it goes back to show like Batman really does, I mean, he does a lot of good for the city and a lot of, you know, he doesn't get a lot of credit for it. But I think at the end of the day, being the world's greatest detective, um, he does know the good guys and the bad guys and Solomon Grundy is a, is a misunderstood like monster but he gets treated like a bad guy way too often so he's like sorry I caved your face in here's some here's, here's some turkey day dinner I like that part a lot when I got to that part that was one of those like oh I, I genuinely like warmed my heart when I read that I really like when Carla interrupts Carmine and he's just like no 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 chill out hold on it's being handled let's enjoy them Thanksgiving I've been putting some time into this and cooking and they like zoom in in his face he's like no 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 it's being taken care of it just really emphasizes how serious he is about this Thanksgiving meal and how much he wants to move on from the business being taken I I I really love that just eliminating the rest of his face is just his eyes and his nose I thought that was really cool uh, there really wasn't any dialogue that stood out for me, more or less some themes. I know we kind of touched on it a little bit in the last chapter about when they all agreed to team up and Gordon tells them that he'll let them break the rules or bend the rules, but not break them. Otherwise, how are they any different than the holiday killer? And they all kind of uh, Harvey Dent and Batman kind of begrudgingly agree. And we really see how Harvey Dent and uh, Jim Gordon are starting to rub against each other when it comes to that. When they let the criminals go free, Jim tells Harvey Dent to charge them. And Harvey Dent's like, why, what's the use of charging them? They're just going to like, they're going to make bail within the first hour. They're going to walk Scott free. Like, what's the point? And Jim is like, that's what we do. It's our job. Charge them. And like Harvey Dent doesn't want to. And again, it, it kind of builds on like, He's a good guy in this, like working in the system, but he's not like the golden poster boy that everybody wants him to be. And, and building uh, off of that exact dialogue too, I love just the, they'll make bail in an hour. And then two panels later, Harvey was wrong. They made bail in less than an hour. <laughs> I just, that one, that was my favorite in this chapter. If you can call it dialogue in uh, what is like the third to last page, just before we see the murder of the Irish, uh, gang there when batman's swinging down the small panel small like sliver panel that just had ha 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 on it the fact that it was in green i thought for a fact meant that the joker was like involved and obviously reading it as a trade paperback 
is it's easy to then be like, oh yeah, for sure, because you're into the next one. But like in my mind, reading this, if I would have set this book down and not seen that the cover for Christmas or that the first panel for Christmas, we're gonna get right to it in a second. So spoiler, it's not a spoiler, is the Joker. Those four green ha ha ha's, I thought for sure, I'm like, oh, the Joker shows up already. I said, that's cool. Kind of going along with the Catwoman and Solomon Grundy theme. And then he does right, right away. Anything else you guys want to talk about in chapter two? Cool scene oh. with the black and white murder again, <laughs> with the color cornucopia. Like I'm going to talk about it every single time, but again, just the color cornucopia on the table with the knife and the turkey, and then the guys just all shot up. So also just the fact that a couple panels before that, it's them celebrating. Like, yeah, life's great, Ronan's great, everything's cool, and then yeah, <laughs> and then they dead. <laughs> all right, Kyle, take us away with chapter three. Chapter three, Christmas. The mob and a, and a madman calling himself Calendar Man take center stage this issue as Christmas nears, meaning holiday will strike at any moment. But what part does the Joker play in, this, in the mayhem? Could he be more connected to holiday than Batman originally believed? Yeah, this one was super exciting for me because, I mean, I'm, I, I love Joker. That's probably a very common take. <laughs> but uh, this was the first time I got to actually read joker in the comics too the art style was immediately not jarring i guess i've heard i've definitely heard a lot of people say that the that this art style is jarring when i told some of my buddies that i was reading this they were like oh it's it's a very jarring art style get your get ready but i i quite enjoy it overall but right when you see joker it's like boom okay they they they, they do a lot to illustrate how kind of almost evil his face is like it, it's that i think that's easily the best way to describe it is just this guy is just pure evil, even though he actually makes some great, he's, he's making really good points as to why he's doing things, especially in this chapter. But at the same time, it's like, you're, you're going way too far over the line. You may have the right idea, but you're way overshooting what you're trying to do. Um, so I think that again, it's just in the art style, they do a really good job of describing that with the drawing. I, it's it, hard to explain almost, but I love immediately. He's just singing winter wonderland too. I like later, a couple pages later, when he's leaving the house of the family that he's robbed and stolen all their presents. Uh, just like the Grinch, I love that he quotes the Grinch. I think it's very fitting for his character there. <laughs> he does it again, because when he's at the Dent house, he says the same thing, because he says, there's a light on this tree that won't light on one side. And it's another quote right from the Grinch. So the whole time, like the only thing that the Joker is there to do is just play the Grinch. <laughs> Anything else stick out to anybody so far? Yeah, if you look in that first shot of the Joker, he only exposes the entire top upper left portion of his smile, and there's 13 teeth showing, <laughs> which means that there's 26 teeth in each row that he has, which means he has 54 teeth. Is that accurate? Like, is that what how many teeth a human has? Two, I'm pretty three, sure it's like 32. Five, six. Yeah, we have like seven or eight, right? On each side, so eight, eight, 16, 32. So Joker's got about 20 to 30 extra teeth in every scene that he's in. Uh, you saw it in the Instagram tees that I posted. You see it there. You see it when he's when he's smiling, when he's got the gun in Maroney's face. Like you see it all, all over the place. But I just, that was one of the things, like that's why one of the reasons they say it's not my Joker. It, I, can't, I really can't get over the smile. The rest of the, the features on him, I, I don't mind, but. I think we just went a little over the top. I really like uh, when they're talking to Calendar Man, right? That's his name. Yep. Um, 
just the the entire floor of his cell is just ripped off pages from a single day calendar i don't know why that really got me when i first looked at it i was like oh that's actually really cool for a guy named calendar man and i really love to the dialogue that uh or that captain gordon and batman have in the asylum when they're on their way to meet the calendar man and jim gordon goes so many are in here nearly double from when you first appeared not that there is a direct correlation but do you give it any thought and batman's just like no (laughs) that's a classic that's the classic superhero conundrum is do supervillains exist because superheroes exist or do superheroes exist because supervillains exist where's the balance and batman is probably one of the greatest like point like points to that because his are all just crazies like these crazies never came out of the woodwork and were causing real trouble until Batman showed up or did Batman show up because of the crazy. And he's just like, no. And I like that. He's like, no. And then like the next dialogue boxes are his internal thoughts where he is giving it thought like right then and there when he says, I know what Gordon is implying that my presence somehow attracts these men and women to my city. Jim Gordon is a good man. He and the police do the best that they can with limited resources, but Gotham City needs Batman to protect her. So he is giving it thought, but his thoughts are, no, I'm not the cause of it. I'm the solution to it. So I just, we we always talk about like the themes of Batman. And I just love when a story that's supposed to take place early on in his Cape crusading career that we actually get to see and hear the dialogue that kind of backs those themes up. And then I, I love at the end, uh, towards the end of the chapter, where it is Joker just kind of messing around and he throws cards in a dude's face to get away from gunpoint. And then that's when the when Holiday strikes and that's how Batman finds the cards. And that's why Batman's like, oh, maybe Joker, maybe Joker's just playing a charade trying to find this guy too. Maybe it's actually him. Again, I, that's just good storytelling in general. I love how the page that sets up the killer when again it goes from color to black and white and that's when you know that the killer is about to strike i love how you can see the joker drive away in the background immediately when the gun is coming into view so it automatically takes him off the board as being a suspect didn't even notice that love that one of the other things that you notice i don't know if it's in the other scenes too but especially calendar man julian day always says that it's a woman he's convinced that it's a woman who's doing the killing but if you look in this scene right here that person has hairy knuckles if you look in this scene where they kill i I mean i again it's 2022 i get it but this was written in 1991 six 1995 so whether this isn't the, the the um open mindedness we have today as far as hairy knuckles are concerned but I got hairy knuckles. I don't know a lot of ladies who sport this hand style. So this was for me when Julian Day kept bringing it up like, oh, have you caught her yet? I'm like, unless Gorilla Grodd's got a sister, I don't think that's what we're dealing with right now. Now, I like that. The way I took the illustration was that he was wearing gloves. Mm. That's what it looks like to me. If you look at the very first one where you said his arm pops out with the gun with the glove or with the gun, it does look like it's cut off at the wrist a little bit. Because if you look at the guy he shot, he they didn't give him really hairy knuckles either. So I like that tell. That's actually that, that's an interesting look. I, I just saw it as gloves. Throughout the book, too, 
other than Julian Day, there are other characters too that consider it maybe being a female as well. Yes. And I, I like that it then it just keeps feeding to the mystery of who is it that is actually the killer? Who's actually doing these crimes? It you know you got a good mystery when you're thinking and you're suspecting that it's one person or character. And then the next thing you know, like something else happens that makes you double guess that that assumption, that thought, that feeling. And it, it keeps strong throughout this entire book. To Kyle's point too, if you actually go back and look at the Thanksgiving, if you look at the hand, it's clearly, it, it is gloved. You're right. So I, I, I guess I've read into it a little bit more. Like in the first do not, where it shows the do not disturb sign, it looks like a hairy hand. But when you look at him holding the gun, it's definitely a glove. Um, but the thing I questioned from the beginning is, why do you need a glove if you tape the handle? Yep. You tape the Man. handle to avoid the prints. Why do you need to wear the glove? And I guess for the trigger, but I feel like you're sure. I mean, this guy puts a lot of this guy or gal puts a lot of precautions yeah. into their into their plan here. Like there's a lot of pieces that go into this. I mean the gloves to... the gloves could be for the the mementos that they leave too. Because they always put the mementos down on the ground and especially the snow it's, globe, it's, you're definitely leaving a print on the snow globe. Yeah. Better better to be safer than sorry, I guess. The only other two panels that really stood out for me in this issue was when Joker comes to Maroni's restaurant to confront him, thinking that he could maybe be the holiday killer. I love the size of his gun. Like the barrel of that yeah. gun is like as large as Maroni's giant receding hairlined forehead uh <laughs> i just loved like the size of that and then uh on the next page when maroni leaves the restaurant and batman just shows up right behind him like the look of uh shock on maroni's face and just like again the shadows the batman's face being shadowed out and then just his uh large appearance that that panel really stood out to me all right, chapter four, New Year's Eve. The new year ushers in all new horror. In the aftermath of December's tale of Yuletide terror, serial killer Holiday has made Gotham his stomping grounds, and an enraged and jealous Joker decides to take matters into his own hands. Uh, this this chapter is a lot of fun. Uh, it's a very quick-paced chapter, it's mostly the battle between Joker and Batman. Joker takes a crop or steals a crop duster airplane to put all of his fear toxin into Times Square, where the New Year's Eve ball is going to drop. He's going to poison all those people with the poison gas. And his logic behind it is there are millions of people out there celebrating that. If I take out all those millions of people, there's a good chance that the holiday killer is out there celebrating as well. And I will take him out as well. Again, his logic is sound, but he's definitely going it at, at it the wrong way. <laughs> and he turns out to be wrong too. Guy wasn't even there. Guy was in a different spot. The horrors start on page number one. <laughs> 90, 93 teeth. I just I, counted it. I, 93 teeth in this mouth. Why? I love Why? that this affected you so much that you counted not only on one page, but two pages now. So the teeth, 56, 93. It, it's, it's maniacal. 
<laughs> can't handle That's the point to go along with that though like we we talked about how sale likes to like go over the top with a lot of his stuff i really like how he draws joker's victims that have been affected by the joker mm. gas like their giant bulging eyes and their incredibly large smiles i think fit how that poison would affect those people that's good too i yep didn't notice that i love right away what is that like the cover of chapter five or chapter four here with them cheering glasses where they're it's alluding to the fact that they're trying to do the same thing they're trying to catch this guy they're on this kind of on the same page but the glasses are breaking because obviously they're going out about it two very different ways i again what you can you can see what's happening in this chapter just by that initial artwork so good i like when batman gets out of his uh batmobile and shoots his grappling line at the airplane too it's a pretty common batman picture but i just i like how it looks when he's got like the sunroof open and all that can we talk about the crimson chin that <laughs> joker <laughs> i love the full page where he oh i love that so much and his eyes are just piercing into batman he's oh so good that's such a good full page that picture everybody should recognize since uh chad threw it up on our social media as well i love that again i've been talking about the size of batman's cape throughout this whole podcast so far but i love that it's addressed when batman and joker are like at their final duking out and batman's giant cape gets caught into the airplane propeller and he's got to rip the cape off in order to like not get his head cut off by that. Again, it falls into the reason why I hate capes and like the brilliant way that the Incredibles movie brings that up with the capes rule. And I, it just backs that up. And I, I love it. Well, I just love the, the same thing where it's the whole silhouette of the plane in the sky and the cape is almost as big as the plane wings that it, to your point again um they go back again and like we say it sets that tone you know what's about to happen when that page goes black and white that page goes black and white you see the roman sun that's out on the on the dock and the calling card is is there but i think the calling card is left in in black and white again and i think this is because the roman's family gets hit directly again so when his sons get hit we see the blood we don't see the calling card in color so it wasn't the pumpkin in color. It wasn't, which in my mind is the champagne glass in color. Then you see the next page where all the water outside of the boat is in red. And I love too, on the following page, when Harvey Dent finally comes home and his wife Gilda's like, Harvey, why is your hair all wet? Again, setting up a little clue as to like, oh, was it, was it Harvey that's the holiday killer? Like, why is his hair all wet? Uh, genuinely, when I read that, I was like, that's a really weird panel to put in there <laughs> i felt like that was an interesting detail but then again it comes back later we'll, we'll get to that I, I, super cool because that was one of the it, it because it stuck out so much in my mind it when they called it back later i was like oh that's actually cool <laughs> well and that's so yeah again we'll get back to the callback later when i first read this scene i two different things struck my mind first thing of course was oh my god he was outside like what if he's the killer and then the other part of me is like, what the fuck is wrong with you? It's snowing. You know why my hair is wet. It's wet outside. Like He's wearing a yeah. hat, though, which is the other thing. Okay, the great cover. The hat <laughs> well, does never that, come off. 
But you know well, what I mean? It's just like your hair is I mean, all I think wet. That, like, I think the implication there is that it's like soaking wet almost, that it's really wet. Like it's probably more wet than you like. I mean, I know it's snowing outside, but why is it so wet? The inflection, I think, with the bold letters is on the wrong word because in my mind, it should be on all. But then now we're just getting really nitpicky. But your hair is all wet. I agree. Your hair is all wet. Okay. Uh, it's irrelevant. We're digging it way too deep. Into this. <laughs> I like when uh, Batman is on Joker's plane and Joker's like, what is wrong with this piece of crap airplane? Like nobody can make anything good these days that lasts. And then he turns around and he's like, ah, dead weight. <laughs> Joker loves a good crotch shot whenever he can get one. There's a scene on the, on the plane when um, right before he gets his uh, cape caught in there that he's swinging right at the utility belt. And in the last issue, he gets just absolutely cold cocked by Harvey Dent twice. And then he turns around and just kicks him in the pants to drop him down. Like, Joe, come on, man. <laughs> you, know, you know the rule. That's Joker. The only other thing that I want to talk about is on the boat where Falcone is throwing his New Year's Eve party. He's talking to the other crime boss, Sal Maroney. And he says, and I've been thinking a lot about this holiday, as the newspapers call him. And then Maroney says, or her. Again, more than one character thinking that it could be a man or a woman that's behind this. All right, Chad, bring us into chapter five. All right. I would love to do chapter five because it's one of my favorite opening titles. Again, we have more than once where it's it's a very leading and very telling uh, title card or whatever you want to call it, cover. Chapter five, Valentine's Day. The search for the elusive killer holiday continues as Captain Gordon and Harvey Dent pay a visit to the Wayne Mansion. Bruce and Selena Kyle go on a date but Poison Ivy makes an entrance to steal away Gotham City's most eligible bachelor. In that first page we talk, that I'm talking about, we know exactly what's about to happen or exactly who is about to happen in this issue where we see uh, Batman's face uh, with some cat claws across the top of his head and a little black cat tied around there. And what we couldn't pick up right off the bat, but that's not baby's breath. Uh, those flowers there in the background that is in fact poison ivy which i uh, uh, again as as a guy who's more entranced with the marvel universe than the dc universe i i know about a lot of these characters i i I obviously like i said more knowledgeable in marvel but i know poison ivy i've been when i was reading this i was so into the story itself i wasn't focused on characters that might be coming up i was focused on the characters that have already been in this even though there's been a new one every chapter i didn't notice the flowers in the heart right away i also again just so i was quick reading at this point i was looking at the art but i wasn't really paying that much attention i missed all the freaking poison ivy on the back of this person's cape when they gave him the rose i was like this is a really weird in the rose and why is he bleeding and like and it, again, it just, it, it completely flew over my head until the end of the chapter when it's like, oh, oh, of course. Like, obviously this is going to be Poison Ivy. And it's so interesting how they bring her into the story too. And her motivations. I, yeah, really love all of that. I like when Batman is in the cemetery with Falcone. And Falcone's visit, visiting the grave of his recently deceased son. And Batman is talking about how, how Holiday took the life of Falcone's only son. 
And then he says, proving once again that each of us is touchable. Because throughout this whole book, we're talking about how untouchable this crime boss is. I love that dialogue there of just pointing out that, no, like each of us is touchable at some point in time. And then at the beginning of the book, too, when when Harvey and Jim Gordon show up to Wayne Manor to question Bruce because he's being he's now a suspect as well. I I like that as soon as they walk into the mansion, Harvey Dent's like, nice dump. (laughs) As if Harvey Dent doesn't live in like a one bedroom walk up in Gotham City, like because he makes nothing as a police uh, police officer. Well, especially too because his his house blew up right away in the first chapter, <laughs> so they had, they had to get a new smaller place. Yeah, yep. I I really like towards the end here uh, when the, when the murder happens, when we get Holiday claiming his next victim, you get the calling card of the Valentine's Day like chocolate gift, and then on the very next page, it's Jim Gordon giving a extremely similar Valentine's Day gift to his wife. I again planting seeds of doubt in the reader's mind of who this could potentially like is this actually going to be end up being harvey or gordon like i and, I, and then on the next page too harvey dent comes home and he gives the same yeah. box of chocolates to his wife bringing a point that we that i think that we get to i think it's later on when batman's looking at all the different calling cards and he's like these are easily attainable items that you can get at almost any little convenience shop that's even further cementing this point. Like this guy really is just, he's making it super difficult to try to track him. Earlier on when Batman is in the cemetery with Falcone and he realizes that Catwoman is there also watching Falcone. I love the transition with him holding when Batman's holding Catwoman's hand. And then on the next page, the very next panel is Bruce Wayne holding Selena Kyle's hand. Oh, I, I loved that transition. I thought it was really strong. And the last other thing is the very last page. Again, I, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but something about that picture just does it for me. <laughs> like, I think it, it captures uh, the character of Poison Ivy perfectly. I love how her hair is the vines and how much and how big those vines are. And I really love the imagery in the next chapter too, which we'll get into. Now, Kyle, you want to bring us into chapter six? Absolutely. Chapter six, St. Patrick's Day. Poison Ivy has ensnared Bruce Wayne with her charms, but Selina Kyle is hardly the type to step aside when romance is at risk. It's Catwoman to the rescue as the feline plans a most daring attack on St. Patrick's Day. Just the art style, bringing in Poison Ivy right for... St. Patrick's Day and then having like the clovers as her hair on the very first page. Absolutely love that. So good. Um, and you're still playing into a lot of the romance, like the like the little synopsis there is like you play into that after Valentine's Day still, but you're kind of carrying that over into the next holiday. But I, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed this chapter because you see why at first it's like, okay, why is I, I had no idea why Poison Ivy was there and why she was trying to seduce Bruce Wayne. And then they, they really go into detail. And again, it's very interesting to see what they do with her character. I like, too, that the first time we see Bruce Wayne, he's talking to the, the bank board who he early on in the book convinced them not to let Falcone run his money through that bank. And now he's changing. He's got a change of heart. And as he's telling all the the members of the board at the bank like his reason for changing heart i love that his he's telling these people all these things and then 
they've got his thoughts dialogue as well. And he's aware of what he's saying, but he can't stop himself. He's like, I, I love the dialogue, how it's, it contrasts what he's at, his thoughts contrast what he's actually saying to show how strongly Poison Ivy has her grip around him. You see that too, is like the, the vine up again is like just under, like just out his sleeve collar. You've got that little bite of the poison ivy. So you know that she's in there. Of course, she's in the car. Uh, this whole in-between stuff, I'm not a big fan. I'll even say going for I don't know. I think that's, this daughter is a big red herring. Um, she shows up. She's like, oh, you know, I got out on parole. And then she goes to see her aunt and her aunt's firing the gun. And it's like, I think a lot of red herring is going on there. But this whole book is red herrings. I mean, left, right, and center. Like Brian said, you get further in. And you see just how much the vines have really encapsulated even the dining hall at Wayne Manor. Um, but the absolute rocking roundhouse that Catwoman deals to Poison Ivy, that should just, I mean, she's done. She gives up. She's got, she's got to go uh, ask the Joker for a donation of teeth. She's got nothing left after that one. One thing that I thought was super weird is I know like her character is Catwoman. But I thought it was so weird in the scene where Bruce Wayne like grabs her and she's like, like, why? Like, that that is not what she would do. Like, she wouldn't. That that I thought was so weird. Where in the heat of the moment, she's not being like, ooh, like I'm a cat. Like she in the moment and she's in danger. It's like, I thought it was really weird. Maybe she just likes it. I don't know. I liked I liked in that scene where because he's under control, like. I, I took that as like she was kind of caught off guard because, yeah, she took down Poison Ivy, but now Bruce Wayne is still being controlled by her. And Bruce Wayne and Batman are the same person. So he's going to use his full strength if he's under full control, which he is, which I love on that next page, too, when she finally rips his shirt open. And you see all the vines that are wrapped around his chest and you can still see him sticking out of his shirt collars. That that image there really, really worked for me. I thought it was really powerful. The dialogue that I liked really like a lot towards the end of this, too, was when Batman was asking Catwoman why he helped Bruce or why she helped Bruce Wayne. Again, more foreshadowing whether it's a red herring or not, like just her saying, yeah, in time, you'll, you'll figure it out soon enough. She's not revealing her motivations either so does that mean she knows who holiday is she's i there's so many things that could go into that and i just again more teasing more foreshadowing love it i like that she calls poison ivy a weed she (laughs) says you're like a weed that needs there that's come into someone else's yard a weed that needs to be torn out by its roots that was a good bit of dialogue there i like I, I know Chad said that he doesn't like the daughter now coming into the picture, but I do like that she's set up this gang war now unintentionally when she goes to Maroney's house after it's been hit and he sees her outside in the car. And now he thinks that she is the holiday killer and declares war on the Falcone family. I really liked the, uh, the panel where Poison Ivy's laying on top of the bat signal too. And he's telling her that it's not a toy. Like again, that that to me is like a classic iconic shot right there. And the last thing that I want to talk about with this is the last page when Falcone is talking to 
poison ivy and we find out that he's the one that hired her to uh get bruce wayne under control so that he could start using the banks and i like that he says we have a sort of policy of not working with your kind and i like that it's really showing that he's getting desperate and he's crossing lines that he set up and going that extra mile to recruit the help of other villains which we get fully into in chapter seven here april fools well i just really real quick to end this off i think it's really good too because almost back in the first chapter he's like yeah we don't we didn't really need bruce wayne's vote but that would have put us that would have secured it for us so i think he again he's he knows he's confident but he's still ensuring he's still desperate to make sure that this happens so i i again a, a call back way back to the first chapter i thought that was good too all right april fools our last chapter that we're going to talk about this episode everyone's dying to uncover the identity of the serial killer called holiday but who could solve gotham city's greatest question better than the riddler Told from the split points of view of both Batman and Riddler, this issue pits the hero and villain against one another in a race to save lives. This is one of my favorite issues of the story. I was uh, just going to say the same thing. <laughs> it's it's a super strong issue. Again, like the description of the, of the issue said, I love that it's back and forth between Batman and the Riddler. Falcone has now hired the Riddler to solve the mystery of who is the holiday killer. They're going through all of the uh, mementos and all the clues that are left at each crime scene. They're going through all of their suspects. It's an overall super solid issue. Yeah, it's just so good going through all the possibilities. And as a reader, as, as someone who tries to dissect and figure things out as you go, I almost, I sit here and think, okay, well, none of these people probably are the killer if you're going to go into the kind of middle of the book here. But at the same time, you absolutely could, it absolutely could end up being one of these. I, you know, you never know. I just really like right off the bat. It's just a riddle, a killer. Like you immediately panel to panel show the Riddler trying to describe it and try to figure it out. As you, as you can see, he has no idea what's going on, but he's almost trying to talk himself and Falcone into it at the same time, while Batman's also dissecting everything and trying to figure out what's going on. I love that similarity right there with those two panels. I like that it's going through each person that could possibly be, you know, is it Catwoman? Is it Maroney? Is it, is it Falcone's sister whose son got killed in the beginning of the book? And it's kind of, it breaks down all the suspects all the potential suspects and how far will they go in order to get what they want and i love the dialogue too of alfred uh, i love his role in this issue you know he's he's batman's support when he needs it the most even if he doesn't realize it and really convincing him to consider harvey dent that maybe he is the killer you know batman's like no like he's like it's definitely not him like there's no way and alfred's like well just consider it keep your options open again showing showing an uh, an early in his career batman and you know the learning curve that he is experiencing throughout this whole book well like going through each suspect too they do interesting detail that they they give catwoman her normal gloves 
which almost to me says right away that it's not her because when you go to the other two suspects, they are wearing those gloves that you see the killer wearing. You see those white kind of tethered gloves uh, from the similar art style. So they're almost trying to imply that it, it could very well potentially be these two, uh, but we're not going to try to convince you too much that it's Catwoman. And I think the, uh, the ending of this book too is so strong starting with yeah starting with falcone being like mr nigma i was told there was no riddle you could not solve and yet you have only put together one guess after another with no more certainty of one than any other if your life depended on it and it does tell me who is holiday and as he's doing this his daughter is literally squeezing the brains out of riddler standing there and he guesses falcone and falcone laughs at him kicks him out into the alleyway the that's when we see the killer show up we think oh gosh they're gonna take out the riddler and the killer just shoots all the way around the riddler and he the last page is him with an outline of bullet holes and he says when does a killer not kill inaccurate by the way what's an there's too many bullets there's too many bullet holes and not enough shells and also too many bullet holes for that gun. Just fall into nope, the fantasy nope, of it. No, 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 no. Took me out of nope. it. <laughs> it did. Like I, I, when I first read it, I was like, and saw it. And a lot of this, I paged back through cause I wanted to see, cause I, I like looking back and it is a good shot. It's a really, really good shot. But like, again, I don't mean to be like the guy counting like every time with the teeth and stuff. <laughs> But there's almost double as many bullet holes as there are shells on the ground. And that gun at best can hold probably 21 rounds at best. There's almost 45 bullet holes. We're going to start calling you the mathematician. So, no, I I just, I took that as just the art style of them trying to paint the picture of the, the killer could have hit him, but he decided not to. I think that was more along the lines of what they were trying to portray. But I understand. I can, I can, I can see the criticism for sure. He or she. Ah, could have yes. hit him absolutely <laughs> all right there there we have it chapters one through seven any final thoughts that you guys want to give us on these last seven or on these first seven chapters of this story i really like it uh, i'm i'm fully in on the storytelling i'm I've, I've always been a big fan of a good story a good hook murder mystery is always fun um so it took me a while to get into it with all the new characters um but once you start following and once you start understanding what they're trying to tell as a story then you can follow the story beats and they do a very good job of trying to subvert you trying to take you down a different path and i'm i'm just so excited to read the last six chapters here i can't put it down i'm already into the next two um issues it it feels like playing a game like that if i don't want it to sound like not in a bad way it feels like we're playing a game like this, the way it's all being laid out, it's the way we're involved as readers, because it's not doing the criminal minds thing where it's like, it shows us exactly who the killer is. And we just watch the characters work towards it. It's not, you know, putting us all in the dark, but it's giving us enough clues that are asking us so many different questions. It just feels like a game because you almost have, you have to read this almost with a pen and paper to help remind yourself as you go. It's almost like you're playing a game of clue. You know, oh, was it Maroney in, in the, in the bathroom with a candlestick. Oh no, 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 no. Maroni was in, was in the courtyard with the, the, the noose, you know? So it, it, each, 
each issue and even not even just within the each issue, each couple of pages kind of bends your thinking every time. So it makes it really, really hard to keep everything uh, straight. But I think that's what makes this book so fun. From having experience of reading this a few times, it's it's a book that doesn't lose its charm with multiple readings. Once we get to the end, and we'll talk about this more next week, but it's a book that keeps on giving. Like, like you guys said, there's a lot of questions that are being asked. There's a lot of clues that are being thrown in. Once you get that final reveal at the end, you go back and you pick up even more uh, going back a second time, reading it through. And it, the more I read it, the more I pick up every time I'm always picking up something different. So, well, and it's even, it's, it's extremely exciting as a, as a newer comic book reader too. This is the first DC comic that I've written, getting the experience of all the different Batman villains in the same, like in, from issue to issue. I think that's a really cool experience too. Absolutely. Well, there you have it folks. That's issues one through seven or chapters one through seven or of Batman, the long Halloween Next week, we will continue with chapters 8 through 13, wrapping up this book, wrapping up this story just in time for the new movie. But before we close up shop for the day, we got to jump into the best stuff of the week. All right, Kyle, why don't you kick us off? What's your best stuff for this week? My best stuff this week... I'm, I've been watching a lot of movies lately. I've been trying to catch up on a lot of things that I've missed over the past year or so uh coco another disney movie that i finally got around to watching i adored this movie um i watched it about a week or two after i watched Encanto because i was like well that's this good i need to continue watching the newer disney stuff i need to see if it if it all lives up to the hype and coco absolutely lived up to the hype it's based around music somehow less music than Encanto, but still like the story in it incredible I had no idea what was going on. I didn't really know much about it going into it. And there's a lot of not twists and turns. There's there's one kind of twist towards the end that's kind of easy to see coming if you really pay attention. Um, but it's still a really good, it's a good story. And I think that's why it's so easy to uh, see coming. And that those are my favorite too. When you, when you can follow along with the story and you can see the different points going on. It's just, again, the animation style and the animation itself is just, it's so colorful. It's so vibrant. It's just it's just awesome just to look at in some of the scenes it's it, just really cool to see how they portray everything that goes on um really interesting watch i definitely recommend it there's a red herring towards the end of that movie too that i i was so invested into the story that it caught me off guard but it was it was a fun reveal uh my best stop for the week is also a movie a movie that I'm sure all of you have seen, but I encourage you to go back and rewatch it, especially now during this time before the Batman comes out. Now that you are reading Batman, the long Halloween with us, I'm encouraging you all to go back and rewatch the dark Knight, uh, Christopher Nolan's movie, arguably the best Batman movie out there. It's fun to go into movies after reading books like this and seeing the things that are inspired from the book into the movie i encourage you to do it after you've read the book because there are some things that show up throughout that movie that haven't happened yet from where we are in this episode so make sure that you 
read all of the long Halloween first and jump, then jump into that movie. It's fun to see the little nods, the references, the inspirations, the influences. We mentioned one briefly, uh, the money scene in the warehouse, but this book deals with a lot of the crime families. Uh, Batman Begins dealt more with the Falcone family, but the Dark Knight definitely jumps into the Moroni side of the crime family, the Moroni side of the street. So it's fun to go back, rewatch that stuff and get a different point of view and a different appreciation for what's already a masterpiece, uh, instant classic, my all time favorite movie, um, the perfect Batman movie and the perfect comic book movie in my eyes. So my best stop for the week had to be the dark Knight. Excellent. Excellent picks. I am a huge fan of both the dark Knight. I mean, you don't have to say anything about it. If you don't love it already, you should. And if you don't, you need to go back and watch it to appreciate it because you should Coco um, Coco fell. Uh, the year it came out was 2019. I think Coco fell in the top three, if not my number two, um, for movies that came out that year, that movie is visually stunning. It is absolutely a masterpiece when it comes to all the work that went into that movie. The amount of creators and editors and um, professionals that made that movie look the way it did is it's a mile long list. And it makes sense because it would be hard to make a movie like that otherwise. And the music in it, too. Again, the soundtrack, the score, it, it is very, very, very impressive. Um, on top of a good storyline. So excellent picks this week by my guys for the best stop. I have nothing for you this week. That's a lie. I always have something for you. Spelling. Midwesterners, M-I-D-W-E-S-T-E-R-N-E-R-D-S at Midwesterners on Twitter and Instagram. Midwesterners at gmail.com. The Midwesterners podcast on Facebook. Please remember to rate and review us wherever you listen, wherever you follow social media posts, Wherever you think you see us, please leave a review because then other people will take a look at us based on what you have to say. Again, this has been our first episode, first installment of the Midwestern Nerds Read. If you listen to this and you're excited about this book, you can get it on Amazon Prime. If you have Amazon Prime, you can get it shipped next day. You can have the whole book read by the time this comes out next. The next uh, installment comes out next Friday. That way you can be on board with us by the time that the movie comes out. And you can be as excited about the movie and this run of comics by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale as we are. So, as always, for your Midwesterners, I've been Chad Coffin. I've been Brian Stoffel. And I've been Kyle Olson. And whether it's beer brats, comics, or pops, keep, keep it nerdy. nerdy.